Good morning, Wrestling Inc. Wake on up and get it going. It's a Tuesday, or as we call it here on the Winkly, a news day. It is me, your managing <laughs> editor, Nick Hausman, joined as always, uh, most Tuesdays, I shouldn't say, as always, he wasn't here last Tuesday, but he is here with us today. Wow. It is Michael Weissman. Michael, welcome back to the Winkly. Man, I thought you just slammed me right there. What well, he wasn't here last well, week. Well, so. he wasn't. You weren't, you know. Well. But I was here the previous week twice, so it all kind of bounces out in the end, right? It's fine. There's no heat here. We had a great time with Just Labar. <laughs> we had a great time with Just Labar last week. You were missed, of course, Michael. Appreciate um, that. But uh, no. And by the way, yeah, that joke at the top there, it's not a Tuesday. It's a Newsday. Uh, that was a Weissman original right there. I, uh, I stole that one. Off the cuff, as soon as we were getting ready to record, man, it just came to me. Uh, well, we got a lot to get to here today. Uh, I will, uh, I'll start here. I'll, I'll plug what we got later in the show. We got a couple other things I want to get to here at the top. Uh, but a big day for content for us here on the show. Uh, two of my favorite people uh, that I, I get to interview are going to be on the show here today. First, right after the news block, uh, when Michael and I finish up here in a little bit, you're going to get an interview with WWE Hall of Famer. Kurt Angle. Uh, Kurt Angle is going to be here. He's going to be talking about his new movie, Chasing Molly, which is a raunchy comedy. Uh, he is going to be talking to us about his last year of active competition in WWE. And he, and he even touches on AEW uh, making their deal with TNT. I mean, I literally did this interview with uh, Kurt maybe an hour after that news went live last week. So a very fresh take here from Kurt on that situation. Also here later in the show, we have uh, pro wrestling journalism OG, the Oest of G's, Bill. <laughs> the, yep, the, yep, the, yep. The Oest of G's in the pro wrestling journalism game, Bill Apter, my very good friend, Bill Apter. Uh, of course, I used to co host Bill's podcast. Uh, we are getting back together here today. Uh, we're going to be talking about AEW. Of course, he's going to be one of the featured performers at StarCast. We'll talk about that. We talk about WWE's declining ratings. And, uh, you know, they did this uh, recent series on Viceland called Dark Side of the Ring. Did you get a chance to watch that, Michael? Seen a little bit of it, yes. You know, what was interesting to me about that show was Bill Apter was not a part of Dark Side of the Ring. And Bill, I know, is really good friends or was really good friends with many of the people in that show. And... Uh, I get his take on a couple of those episodes, and, and you know he was pretty blunt about it in the interview. He tried to be a part of the series. He was like, I knew these people. Let me in, and, and I guess they were full. So you will get Bill Apter's thoughts on a variety of these darker tales. As again, he was very close to the situation for a lot of those Dark Side of the Ring stories. Yeah, he, I mean, he's been around so long, of course. I'm sure he's got some great insight. Very surprising they didn't use him on those. I agree. I agree. Uh, so anyway, we'll get that. Kurt Angle, Bill Apter, later in the show. Double dose. Can't wait to bring that to you. Uh, before we get to the news here, and I got another plug here in just a second, uh, we, have some, we have some sad news and we have some good news I wanted to start the show off with. Uh, first, I want to send out our condolences to the family and friends of former WWE superstar Ma Ashley Macero. Uh, her, her final tweet went out uh, last week noting that she was responding to fan mail. It does sound like. Uh, she, she has taken her own life. WWE issued the following statement regarding allegations Macero had made against the company in an affidavit that was dismissed last year regarding uh, a very sad story about her being drugged and sexually assaulted while on tour with WWE in Kuwait. We've got a lot of uh, questions uh, about that uh, affidavit here in the wake of Ashley's passing, so I wanted to read WWE statement here regarding that, and, and then we can touch uh, briefly here on Ashley and her legacy in the, in the business. But WWE said, long after Ashley Macero 
filed an affidavit, which WWE only learned of the contents after she passed. Ashley sent an email to WWE on October 20th, 2018, approximately a month after the court dismissed all the claims against WWE and sanctioned the lawyer who brought the suit against WWE, Constantine Kairos, for repeated misconduct, including pursuing false allegations. Below are a number of excerpts from Massaro's letter or email to WWE. First, I love WWE. You all were my family the whole time I was there, dot, dot, dot. The lawsuit got out of control very fast. I had been roped in by the lawyer representing the others, dot, dot, dot. I apologize that I was part of this class action suit and knew it was a bad idea, but was convinced by the lawyer, and I want to acknowledge that I should have contacted you guys before being agreeing to be involved. I was basically poached, but I accept my part of the responsibility and just want to formally apologize and express my regret. You all changed my life, and I couldn't be more grateful, dot, dot, dot. Can you, ex- can you express my sincerest regrets? to Vince, Stephanie, Hunter, and Kevin Dunn. Um, a lot to take in there. <laughs> like, a huge amount to take in here in the wake. Uh, I've struggled with this one, especially when I get approached by, like, some non-wrestling people who read about her passing and then read about this situation. And I would really, you know, this woman has passed. This is a terrible story. You can go find all the details about what she alleges happened in Kuwait. Uh, but Michael, um, what is your take uh, in the wake here of, of Ashley passing, and, and you know the the controversy around her around her here? Again, let me just reiterate: thoughts and prayers with all of her fans, friends, family, everybody kind of close to her in that circle. Uh, it's it's a very tragic thing to happen. I know the her daughter um, seemed to be pretty torn up about it. So again, just good vibes going to all there as much as any of that can can help but yeah this is just such a weird story to me only because wwe comes out and releases all of these statements and i don't know i feel like in some ways it bothers me it rubs me the wrong way just a little bit almost like they're already playing defense against a woman who was recently passed and and i think it just it's too soon almost there's in in the second piece of that is not only is it too soon, but they they splice in all of these "I love you, WWE." My apologies to these people. It almost feels like again they're propping themselves up in a way, and and, and it feels in bad taste, honestly. I would uh, I would have appreciated this more had they released the full email, um, because the dot dot dots at the end of some of these statements, you know, I love WWE. You were my family the whole time I was there. Dot dot dot. You know, that very well could have also ended with, uh, unfortunately, in this one instance, I felt like I was not taken care of, right? Uh, you yes. know, it's reasonable into that statement or whatever it would be. But the parsing here of the sentences, incomplete sentences, it does paint a, an image here. I, I would, if I was WWE's PR team, would not have gone about it this way. I agree. This seems a little cold to me. And just, and just distasteful again, right? I, I know that this was a big deal, this, this lawsuit and the things that have come out about that. But there is a way to address this. Uh, and and say we will have more to say later. Now is not the time to combat these rumors. Now is the time to grieve. We'll have a statement in the coming weeks. Yeah. Done. And then come out here with your actual and to your point, the whole letter possibly. The whole email should have been included. So yes. Uh, yes. Anyway, again, I don't want to deal on this too long because I know there are many people out there grieving the loss of Ashley at the moment, and we'll leave it at that. If there is more to this story. We will, of course, bring it to you here on the show. Uh, but, yes, just want to start the show by sending out our best to, to Ashley Macero's family, friends, and fans. Uh, on a more positive note, we would like to congratulate Bray Wyatt and JoJo on the birth of their first child, a boy, Nash Six Rotunda. Woo-woo! 
I Woo. have never heard of a more Monday Night War <laughs> name than Nash Six Two X's Rotunda. That is straight out of the Monday Night War. I just got to give Bray Wyatt credit for living the gimmick. You know, he knew that he was going to be having this kid, and that's why he came up with this kid show. He wants to give something back to Nash Six Rotunda. I, I dig it. <laughs> you know, it is. It's like he's launching this gimmick while also having his first child. A lot of stuff going on there. This kid is going to grow up in a very unique environment. Is it too much to think that he had the child in preparation for this gimmick? That he really wanted to sell it? That he's a I, you know, convert? I, I really do think that when he found out he was going to be a dad, that may have been an impetus here for a new idea to resonate yeah. in his head. You know? Yeah. you know, Could have been. Uh, could have been. Very easily could have been. Uh, and lastly here, before we get to the news, uh, we are going to be at StarCast 2, the Pro Wrestler, or the uh, Wrestling Inc., Hootenanny. We've just shortened it to Wrestling Inc. Hootenanny. We're holding a Hootenanny. Friday, May 24th, 2 p- or 2.30 p.m. at StarCast 2's podcast movement stage at the Tusky Suites and Casino. It'll be me, Raj, Glenn Rubenstein will be there. Scott Fishman will be there. We'll have the Two-Face podcast there. You guys are going to be able to have a live microphone, interact with us. I have a series of games planned, uh, so you guys will get to use your wits and uh, your create your creativity to try to best the Wrestling Inc. team at this Hootenanny. Very excited about this, Michael. We're going to StarCast. I, I, you know, it sounds like an awesome opportunity for everybody going. Please check this out. It will be fantastic to interact with all of these fantastic, fabulous people I get to spend time with. I'm jealous. I'm jealous you guys are going to be there. I'm not, but I, I hope you guys have a fantastic experience. We will. And with that, let's get to it here. Some news you can use. News that'll leave a bruise. We'll start here with the news coming out of Money in the Bank. I don't know if you heard or not, Michael Weissman, but Brock Lesnar is the new men's Money in the Bank uh, contract holder. The Wrestling Observer reporting at one point the plan was for Drew McIntyre to win. Of course, that didn't happen. PWInsider.com reporting that Lesnar was kept hidden away from the locker room. Some talent were told that Ali would win, while others were told that someone would be coming out to tip over the ladder. Very, very secretive here to cover up Brock Lesnar uh, appearing here and taking that that Money in the Bank briefcase. Uh, Chris Jericho took a shot at Brock Lesnar right after he won the Money in the Bank, saying, awesome to see Brock Lesnar win the Money in the Bank match. Even though he wasn't even officially entered, Brock is the future of the biz, and this perfect example of genius booking shows why WWE will remain on top forever. Hashtag go Brock go. Um... Man, Jericho is just not afraid of burning any bridges right now. He is all in on some All Elite, isn't he? All in on All Elite. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, and these two had had a scuffle a couple of years back. I believe it was after that SummerSlam where Brock nearly murdered Randy Orton in the ring. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was he legitimately heated because he thought that it was Brock's fault. Orton got busted open, didn't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was. So these two have a little history going back here. Maybe everything is the waters have calmed here and they're just trying to keep something going for a potential match in the future. But yeah, uh, Jericho here going right for the jugular. And, you know, I will say in the moment, my reaction was very much like Chris Jericho's. You know, I thought that this money in the big briefcase this year could have been used on somebody like Andrade or even a Sami Zayn who got taken out of this bout before it could even happen to elevate them. And, you know, watching how they played it out on Raw, you know, Paul Heyman is so good at telling stories. The idea of a Brock Lesnar waiting in the weeds kind of like a Jaguar, and you never know where and when he's going to attack, um, there is something to that. I don't hate this as much as I did initially when I watched it on pay-per-view. 
I kind of do. So let me give you my background here, which is I took a break from Money in the Bank, love pro wrestling, but it was the series finale Game of Thrones. So I took a break right around the 10 o'clock or the 9 o'clock to 10.30 hour to watch that and come back to the show. Somebody unfortunately spoiled the results of this match for me in the Game of Thrones Twitter hashtag thread that I was reading. So I knew that Brock was going to be the winner. And it really took away from this match. And, and and what I mean by that is there was such a great effort put out by so many competitors, but knowing that the ending, and they'd foreshadowed it earlier in the show with Sami Zayn, which I thought was an interesting hook, right? So you, you got me there. But for it to be Brock Lesnar, who just kind of came out at the end and got the win after such a big buildup for Ali, with the teases of Drew McIntyre, which would have been fantastic, I think it makes this match feel flat. And I think it was you or, or um, Raj who tweeted about this would have been a great time to make a new star or to cement another star like Drew McIntyre. Yeah. And, and I just think Brock being the money, in the bank winner does nothing for me. And it almost feels like they're going to cash this in, in a preordained match at, in wherever um, this new super showdown is taking place, wherever that might be. I believe Jetta is in North Carolina. I think Jetta uh, is that, yes. you know, I live here and I don't remember it, but all I know is we, we are assured that this is going to be as good as, or equal to WrestleMania. Man, can you believe that line? Oh, my God. Oh, sweet Jesus. As good as or better than. Oh, man. Really just take the money and run. Go on. Take the money and run. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is again, I'm kind of on the fence about it, you know, and I get like I like I tweeted out when I saw it. I was like, I wish they would have made another star. And then I ended by saying I get it, but I don't get it right. Like I get it in the sense that, like, you know, you put Brock Lesnar on a show. Tickets get moved. People buy pay-per-views. There's a commodity there. You don't want Brock Lesnar, the biggest elephant at the circus, going to some other circus, right? So you got to find a place for this guy, right? If he's going to be around, you're going to use him. You're going to pay a bunch of money. you got to find an interesting, compelling storyline for him. This works. But with that said, yeah, somebody else goes to the back of the line here while Brock Lesnar takes this spot. So I, I get it, but I don't get it. I, I'm willing to give this one a chance. I don't want to hate it because, again, the idea of Brock Lesnar – being able to pop up out anywhere, there's like there's a real intensity about that. Like I kind of felt that, like the energy of Seth Rollins and, and, and Kofi Kingston saying, let's do this now. I don't want to have to worry about that. And Heyman going, of course you want to get this done now because you're all terrified. You don't know when Brock Lesnar is going to come and eat your lunch at any given moment. You're right. And, and it is something interesting and different for Brock Lesnar to do. I, I think it's not great for the Money in the Bank briefcase because I thought they were going to go a different route this year and, again, use a cement a new star. But you're right. I was totally digging the Kofi Kingston stepping up to Brock and saying, let's do it. Seth Rollins being willing to ch – I'm over Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar. Don't get me wrong. But them kind of the champions chasing the challenger is an interesting twist here. And I think it did make especially Kofi Kingston look like a million bucks last night on Raw. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, uh, we'll talk about Lars here in a little bit about, you know, some of his outer ring issues. But, you know, also with him and the Lucha house party, that was the best Lucha house party had looked uh, was on Raw last night. Even though they got their their lunch, I'll use it again, their lunches got eaten by, by Lars Sullivan. I thought that he looked good. I thought they had a real intensity to him. There was an, you know, Cesaro, I thought, had a little bit more of an edge last night. I, I just thought they did a couple things on Raw last night you know, didn't maybe change the, the direction of the overall product or the ratings, but I saw, I saw some tweaks last night that I did enjoy. Nuance of character and less of a, I mean, there's still plenty of comedy to go around, but less of that comedy shtick throughout the entire show. Oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> For the care from the character perspective, the new third hour. Uh, all right. Money also coming out of money in the bank. Bailey 
won the women's money in the big briefcase. She cashed it in on Charlotte shortly after Charlotte captured the SmackDown Women's Championship. Um, you know, this is the second time they've done this with the women's money in the bank briefcase. It, it, you know, look, I get it. Becky's going to go on with Lacey here on Raw. You got to get something going here on SmackDown. Bailey, Charlotte, you know, now you got something to work with here starting tonight. But it does make me sad to see Bailey immediately cash away that briefcase. It sounds like next week we're going to find out what Brock's going to do with his briefcase. These stories didn't get to play out or, or have long teases. They were just used as quick fixes and devices to affect stories in the immediacy. And I, I feel a little weird about that. Well, you can tell, number one, the Bailey thing here. Let's just say it. It's Bailey's being rewarded for not pulling a Sasha Banks is what it felt like. It felt very over the top. The fact that they mentioned Sasha Banks multiple times in the post-match interview with Bailey, uh, that, you know, here, look what Bailey got for sticking around despite the trials and tribulations. But no, uh, this is why Mick Foley debuted the 24-7 title last night. Because, and if you look at that title, it's green and gold. Right. And so seeing both of these champions potentially cashing in in the short term and ruining that element of surprise, I think they were trying to recapture some of that money in the bank magic and make it year round with this new championship, which is a huge miss in my mind. So, yeah, (laughs) it's it's sad and it feels like they're going the exact wrong direction with this new title as well. So, okay, I will again. And it's like the next thing in our run sheet. I have one other thing to get to and then we'll get to the 24-7 championship in just a second. But uh, yes, I see where you're coming from here. But I stand by the idea that like, look, you could have still rewarded Bailey with the money in the bank briefcase and made a big deal about how she's got this briefcase and you know Sasha's not here. To have her win the briefcase and the title all at once again, it's just like, I feel like you hot shot at it a little bit. <laughs> they also stuck all that women's stuff together in about a 20 minute span. It was like both of Becky's matches back to back, plus Charlotte, plus Bailey, plus the, okay, let's just do it all and get it over with, right? Yeah. Um, so, lastly, here coming out of Money in the Bank, we had another title change. Rey Mysterio captured the U.S. title in a really brief match. Uh, Samoa Joe attacked him after the match right in front of his son, Dominic. A PW Insider reporting the decision to end the match quickly was made because Joe had his nose broken while Ray was hitting a senton. Uh, Ray, to that end, also suffered a separated shoulder in this very brief match. Yikes. The, this, you know, I, I really like the energy between these two. But these matches have been real short, and the the feud feels a little cursed to me right now. <laughs> it was a fun scuffle, and it actually played out really well on TV, I thought. And Samoa Joe's intensity came across great, and Mysterio played a great kind of winning, but still getting the crap beat out of him. But yeah, I, I worry about these guys, especially Mysterio, who has been hit with a lot of injuries lately, going into Mania, coming at him. And so it's just, uh, yeah. yeah. I guess he was supposed to d- defend or uh, say something about the U.S. title on Raw last night, but, you know, their shoulders separated, so... He's out, you know, it, you know, he'll, you know, he's going to recoup. Joe's going to recoup. And uh, Joe did the little video that's right on Raw last night. So uh, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll get back to this here soon. You know, I kind of like it, though, that they're not getting to where they want to be so quickly. Like there's little roadblocks here because when, man, when Dominic finally confronts Joe, it's going to be great, right? Yep. It's a slow burn feud that is building up. And, and I honestly thought the match ending was planned because it, mirrored what happened at WrestleMania so well. Yeah. And I thought this is great storytelling to your point. It's going to really escalate and escalate, hopefully go somewhere really special. Hopefully. Yeah. Cause now they still want to have a nice longer match. So, right. You got to yep. keep this, you got to kick this thing down the road a little bit further. And again, maybe they lucked into, you know, a better spot here. Uh, of course, you never want to hear anybody get injured or hurt or anything like that, but for the purposes of their story, I think it may have, may have helped here. All right, let's get to it. We've we've teased it enough. Mick Foley debuted the new WWE 24-7 title on Raw last night. The crowd 
eviscerated this thing from the get-go. They were booing this thing. Uh, Mick said, you know, it's time for us to get hardcore. This belt can be defended 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Never mentioned that this is basically the hardcore title. I have no idea why they changed the name of this thing. And uh, the belt was decided in the old-fashioned XFL rules of the first team to get to the football gets the kickoff. <laughs> and so the, the one thing left over from the XFL carried over. Mick, wow. just, Mick just puts the belt in the middle of the ring. First one to get it, you're the first champion. Everybody hits the ring. Titus initially grabs it. He's the first title holder. Robert Roode comes out of the entranceway. Quick roll-up. He takes the title. He shoots off. Chase ensues through the third hour. He comes across our truth. Our truth is like, get in the trunk of my car. I'll hide you. <laughs> Robert Rude gets in there. Everybody leaves. Truth opens the trunk. Rude goes to get in the car for them to take off. There's a ref there. Our truth, a quick hit, pinfall. Our truth takes off. Three champions, two title changes, one hour of television. Uh, how long? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> my question is not. It's not positive when I frame it this way. How long does this last? <laughs> what is what is going on here? Well, when's the next uh, pay per view? It's next Friday. <laughs> Super Showdown is two day, two weeks away, I believe. <laughs> two weeks away is that too soon? No, this is like dead on arrival. I mean, even if it felt like Mick Foley, he was out there kind of fumbling through his words. God bless him, I love Mick Foley, right? But I couldn't tell if that was indifference or he just wasn't really on his game last night. The belt is ugly like did they find like an old record and put it on there uh, vinyl it's... yeah i thought it looked like a vinyl or i thought it looked like a plate that you would see on a 1950s jukebox yeah and it's got like the font is real weird around it the green belt is like what are you doing here again shades of money in the bank here because money in the bank can be cashed in at any given point the straps are oddly skinny i mean i don't want to pick on the look of the belt here but even the design of it was very lackluster coming out of that one moment in the fans boot but yeah whatever happened afterwards it just doesn't mean anything and honestly the guys going after this meaningless championship look like a bunch of adults they just look like goobers out there trampling over one another Oh, yeah. and, and it was funny because I'm watching the show with my girlfriend Liz very patient she's watching the programming with me she's like what is this belt and I go yeah it's supposed to be like the hardcore championship but they stopped using the hardcore championship because it started to create some of the worst television we'd ever seen and everybody involved fighting for it or defending it looked like absolute dopes and it diminished their entire roster and I said that before watching out how the third hour played out of Raw and uh, oof all the bad feels, man. All the bad feels. Yeah, I just don't think this championship means anything. And I don't know I don't know if the intent here was to find ways to make it raw even more shocking and surprising. The problem is for a title change to be shock, to, to to have some kind of impact, the title has to have some prestige, right? A title when it changes hands means something because it's been defended for however many months, weeks, years and it means that this guy is the best. This WWE 24/7 title has zero prestige and the route you went last night it's never going to have any. So this these shenanigans mean nothing. All right, couple thing, couple couple spins I'll take on this. First of all, oh, spins because it's got the record on the front. I see what yeah. you did there. Couple spins here, the old record. Ear, ear, ear. Uh now I you know, when I was a kid, I loved the hardcore title, right? And as I've gotten older, I found out how much uh, older brothers and adults really did not like that title the same way that I did, right? Now, we as educated wrestling fans, we're looking at this, we're like, oh my God, all these Robert Rude, they're at the club, you're devaluing these guys, they all look like dopes. I mean, come on. Right now, today, at middle schools across the country, there are kids on the playground uh, having a total blast with this brand new concept that is new to them of this 24-7 championship belt, Right. That's a great point. You're, that's fair. Fair. Right? 
Now, yeah, you're right. You know, so there's that aspect of it, which I don't want to gloss over too quickly. Second aspect of it, I think the right wrestler can make this title, but they got to find him fast because this was this was a uh, you know getting the football taken away from you before kicking the field goal. And um, you know, I think back to Crash Holly, who yes, ri- Crash Holly, yep. <clears throat> you know, before the Hardcore title, he was just you know the little brother of, of Hardcore Holly, but he made that title work for him. And so I wonder who is it. I don't think it's truth, but who is that one guy right now that could be creative enough to really make this thing work for them and, and maybe maybe make people interested in that title belt? I think Robert Roode would have been a great choice. Bobby Roode. Let's just be real. I think Robert Roode would have been a great choice for that. He still could be right. And he can play a little bit of comedy while still bringing a little bit of credibility to the championship. The other guy out there, out there, they teased him last night, EC3. He needs something, and yeah. this would be a, a low-card something, but it would be something for him. The, uh, Eric Young was out there, and I was like, there's Crash Holly. <laughs> like that, he's new Crash. That's what yeah. Eric Young is. He'd be fantastic with that title belt. I like Eric Young. I just he looks so much like Crash. I don't want to see him as new Crash. I think that's my only defense mechanism there. Hey, if it'll pay the bills, call him new Crash. I'm per, I'm sure he'd be. <laughs> he's like can't be worse than some of the stuff I did in TNA. Come on, I'm new uh, Crash. Uh, yeah. And the last the last thing here I'll say is a spin on this thing. Um, I think that this could play better as a network series, and by that I just mean. You know, if you're really going to go outside the box and do something different with this title, this title, since it is so alive, it, there's so much creativity you can get with it. If you did a series of like, uh, like a like a sitcom, well produced dilemmas that wrestlers get into defending the belt or trying to go after the belt, I think you could present this title differently and give it its own kind of universe and and really do it right. Well, they did that kind of thing with vignettes back in the day on SmackDown and Raw with having the fights in the ball pits and all these kind of backstage shenanigans that were really kind of funny and creative airport scenes, whatever it was. I'd love to see something like that in the airport. I don't know. I think maybe a YouTube channel special would almost be better. A little five, 10 minute segments. I think that's the route to go with it. I agree. And, you know, that's the thing is this belt to me smacked of this is your this is your viral video title here right now. This yes. th- this thing will this thing doesn't need to be on Raw SmackDown two five. It's gonna be, you're gonna see this thing switch on on a in a live Twitter stream here within the next week. That would be that, that's that's interesting. Again, I don't know that it adds much to the overall program or to ratings. And does the guy who was the champion here, like for example, R Truth taking it to SmackDown, does he count as one of the wild card guys? Hmm. Excellent point. Because Shane does not, apparently. You know, I think they've old yellered the wild card rule already, and uh, I think they took this thing out back and may have put a bullet in it. And, uh, and here's why. Now, first of all, uh, I'll note that at WrestleVotes said that the Raw script was not finished until the show was on the air last night. Very, You know, that's not new. We've heard that a couple times. But what, what struck me as interesting was over the weekend, kind of last minute, WWE canceled Monday's live event in, in Lowell, Massachusetts, which, you know, sometimes they'll do, or, you know, regularly, They'll do a live event uh, head-to-head with, you know, uh, with Raw. Anyway, the reason given for this live event being canceled, the SmackDown crew was scheduling conflicts, but it's likely due to the fact that, like, yeah, so much of the actual SmackDown talent is now on Raw. Like, you know, Kofi wasn't going to be at this live show. Reigns wasn't going to be at this live show. It seems like there was a hodgepodge of guys that were involved in that 24-7 thing that wouldn't be at that show. So if WWE is now last-minute canceling, live events to accommodate what is essentially a dual brand show 
I mean, that's it, man. I mean, I don't. You got you got to pull the trigger here and old yeller this thing. It's done. You got to you got to rally with what you got. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about going back to not having a split roster here, back to the superstar or the super show days of when they had the split, but it wasn't really in existence. And if you're going to do that, you have way too many championships to go around for what is essentially a unified roster. Mm-hmm. A hundred. Yeah, and you know, maybe I kind of in the back of my head thought Brock is going to cash in on both of them, and they're gonna they're gonna unify the belts on him. Well, that's been Brian Brian Fritz over Sporting News uh, between the ropes. That's been his whole thing for days now. Is he's been calling him Brock two belts, right? You get the two belts off of Becky, so you can give Brock both championships, and that's a terrible call, though. Kofi is Kofi is the one thing right now that I think is really gelling with that company. Everything else we want to complain about, they have made Kofi look good week after week after week, and now month after month. And if you take the championship off of him, you're hurting that championship, and you're really hurting Kofi. I mean, I you know, it, Brock's still Brock. You know, a loss to Brock is not like you lost to the Brooklyn Brawler. You know, it's still a, <laughs> it's still a big money match here. I think that I don't think they've gone to Ghana with Kofi yet for him to do his uh, like four day documentary down there. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Sure. Yeah. 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 So yeah. they ain't gonna take the title off him before he does that because that's gonna be something that historically I'm sure that we will see for years to come. Um, but I could see a, maybe a situation where Brock would take the title off Seth, maybe Super Showdown, you know, wherever, uh, and then goes on the hunt for Kofi and, you know, give Kofi a little bit longer run. But if you're going to like, yeah, I think you're right. If you're going to formally blend these brands, something's got to give. You got too many belts. Yep. So uh, PWInsider.com reporting that Alexa Bliss was pulled for money in the bank due to a concussion. Uh, the Observer added to that that Bliss was recently thrown up after a bad bump she took. Uh, Nikki Cross replaced her in the match. Didn't win. Bliss noted on Twitter that her career is just fine. She did participate in a six-woman tag match on Raw, but was not a part of the actual match. Uh, You know, it's hard to say because we're not doctors, right? But uh, I don't know. This doesn't sound good. (laughs) Or are we? I've I've had concussions. I can say that. Like, I've been in wrestling rings and got my head bumped and felt like I was swimming (laughs) underwater. And, yeah, you want to throw up, you know, when you get your bell rung like that. So, uh you know, again, not it's, doctors. It's, is it worth know. speculating about? At the end of the day, of course, she's going to say her career is just fine. She's not going to address it directly. Oh, yeah, I'm injured. Yeah, whatever. But it, her career is just fine. What She's doing great. She's on TV every week, even though she's not wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I, I am worried about her, um, if the rumors are true. But we'll just wait and see what happens. Agreed. Uh, so let's get to uh, the WWE Super Showdown. Here's what we do know is going to be happening right now. They had a couple matches here. Finn Balor, the demon Finn Balor, will be in uh, Jeddah here. Uh, defending the Intercontinental Championship against Andrade. Bobby Lashley is also going to take on Braun Strowman. This joins the card of Goldberg versus Undertaker, Triple H, Randy Orton, and a 50-man battle royal. Um, mm, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know, man. <laughs> Did they, call it, they called it a battle royal, right? Not a royal rumble? Yeah, no, it's a 50-man battle royal. Yeah. Because isn't the difference between the battle royal and the royal rumble that the royal rumble, they all come out one at a time? So we're going to have 50 men in the ring to start this thing off with? Is that what's going to happen? Uh, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's what I thought when I read it. Yeah, I think so. But that, I mean, if you only got four matches here, I, I bet they do it like, I bet they do it Royal Rumble style, right? Yeah. yeah. Unless you're going to add more to that card. It's a weird card. Why is it, why why is he the demon to fight Andrade? Does he really need the demon to come out here? Bobby Lashley versus Braun Strowman is being treated with the seriousness of, there, there's no intensity there. These guys could have a great match. They look at each other. Oh, we're fighting. I'll see you in a few weeks. Okay, whatever. 
Goldberg versus Undertaker. <laughs> I get you're promoting that, but it's just two big names being thrown out there. And I, I like Triple H versus Randy Orton, but it reeks of been there, done that many, many, many times over. I agree, man. I agree. You know, it's like they're it's you know it's like they're saying something to appease you know Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, right? But in the reality is, I think they know. You know, I think they know that this stuff is toxic to their fan base, and like even it's hard. For, it's like maybe that's why we're getting so much hyperbole here. You know, to make you even forget what's going on. You know, like uh, yeah, it 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 does seem like it feels like to me they're saying this as good or better than WrestleMania, whatever the actual stupid line is, right. is because there was something in this contract that says we want a show that is as big as WrestleMania. Right. And WWE is saying that public facing so that they can say, look, we're telling everybody it's as big as this without it actually being that big. Yeah. Uh, man, appeasing too many masters here. I, I you know, I do. Uh, I think they're going to see, a, I think they'll see another drop here and everybody's going to blame creative or whatever. And uh, I, I just don't think people are taking seriously enough how many fans, they're driving off with these with these Saudi shows, you know. It's weird. Yeah, I agree. Every yeah. time I see, every time it comes around, everybody just starts to feel gross. You know, nobody wants to feel like they have to take a bath while watching wrestling. You know, uh, Wrestling Observer uh, reporting: WWE officials had known about the Lars Sullivan comments for about a year. And... Speaking of taking a bath every time you watch wrestling, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, um, Lars, to his credit, it sounds like you know we talked about this all last week. Um, you know, did the best of his abilities, tried to do right by this and take steps forward to becoming a better human being. I was very impressed with a lot of the things that Titus said last week about the way Lars has handled this. But uh, like I have been suspecting ever since this happened, where Lars had that anxiety attack, uh, apparently it was triggered, yeah, because he knew that there were these comments out there and people were going to find out and a big deal was going to be made about this. And, uh, you know, the fact that he doesn't see himself as the comments on that forum uh, and was not looking forward to the backlash of this. I, I mean, I, I I get it. You know, I get it. I, I said a couple weeks ago on here that listen, a guy's sins. You got to make right, right? You gotta you gotta make those amends and and move forward in the right way and and kind of own your mistakes. And it feels like from the comments we're hearing now that Lars is doing that. Yeah. And he's he's distancing distancing himself from all of that right i think the thing that bothers me the most about all this and again wwe obviously sunday night this week on raw and smackdown or raw so far they're doubling down on lars they're saying yep he's our guy we're gonna put him out here front and center we're gonna make him look like a monster but the fact that wwe had known about these comments for a year and then the way they approached the situation whenever they came out public facing and then that's when they did the fine and then that's whenever they made whatever the statement was all of this rubs me the wrong way from this company. If you knew about it a year ago, why are you just now treating it in this way? Or why did you not treat this differently whenever it came right. out a few weeks ago? It's like, oh, we got caught, so now we're going to find the dude. Shouldn't he have been fined back then? Or why didn't you say that was a previous incident and we have dealt with that internally in the interim? Yeah. I don't like the way the company is handling the situation. Uh, yeah. And you know, that's the thing is it, it's not just the Saudi stuff. It's stories like, and you're right. You know, and again, it does sound like Ross Lars to the best of his ability here is, is doing, uh, you know what he can, but the way the, you know, like Titus said, the company could have handled it their way. And Lars didn't have to go out of his way to do this stuff. Kind of acknowledging that WWE is just kind of, you know, their own mechanisms for, for dealing with these kinds of things. You know, enough of these stories pile up, man. And you, and you start to hear about all the, Unease backstage. It's like you know, if you're not enjoying watching the program and you feel dirty watching it, 
I think that there's an underestimation there about how many fans you're losing because of this kind of stuff, you know? Well, and younger fans want to, younger people in general want to feel an emotional attachment to the brands they're a part of. Look at the power of Apple. Look at the power of all these different things, Nike and its stance on uh, socioeconomic issues and the way it tackles things. Yeah. Consumers and young consumers want to feel attached to these brands in positive ways. And I'm telling you, they are they are hurting themselves structurally in a way that is going to come back to bite them in the ass in coming years. Yeah, it's like when Nike signed Kaepernick. And they were like, no, we're going to be on the right side of history on this yep. one. We know we know where the, the tides are moving right now uh, politically and, and socioeconomically here right now. So, yeah, man, uh, whatever. They're conservative SNL. Priorities are different. Um, yeah, the Express UK. Talked to Rusev and Lana recently, and Rusev said that 99% of the WWE roster feels overlooked, but that is partially because everyone is so passionate. Just wanted to throw that out there. Got a lot of attention on the site. Not too surprised to hear something like that from Rusev. Yeah, he always toes that line. You got to love him, but um, he's always playing the company side with some really, if you read into it, some kind of under underlying jabs there, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wrestling Observer reporting that Jack Gallagher, Gentleman Jack, is in talks with Bella, Bellator, Bellator MMA. Uh, Gallagher apparently has a 2-0 record in amateur MMA in the UK with two first-round submissions. No agreement has been met by Bellator and Gallagher, uh, but Gallagher's WWE contract may not even prevent him from fighting. And if I'm WWE, let him have the fight. That makes him a, a far more interesting character. Uh, I mean, Bellator, just because of their previous ties with TNA, is a little bit of a strange bird here. But God, this is an interesting story, right? Jack Gallagher, MMA specialist, potentially signing an MMA contract. And, and you don't I don't think of him in that way. But it's an amazing thing here that, uh, man, he is tough as nails. And I, yeah, you're right. I'd love to see him do this. I love the idea of wrestlers getting into real fights in in this in this format so well, and you know vince is apparently a fan of what jack or jack swagger is doing right now in bellator right and uh you know swagger got a call from donald trump um before his fight apparently as well so i could see vince looking at bellator here especially considering how you know w vince and dana white over at ufc have become so you know it's like a game of volleyball to who could get brock lesnar there you know, lending a little bit of support and credence here to Bellator, I could see how they could maybe see that as a benefit to them. If they've got an MMA place where their guys could go, and we're fine with you doing Bellator fights, you know? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting world to be in right now with all of this kind of overlap. And the Jack Swagger thing, again, also super interesting because of what he's done with himself since leaving WWE in the MMA world. It's uh, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, well, let's switch gears here. We got a little bit of AEW news to get to. Uh, I'll kick it off by saying the Observer is reporting that in a backstage rah-rah speech in the locker room, Stephanie McMahon officially noted that AEW is competing with them. It was just a matter of time, but she said it out loud to the roster. Yeah, you're trying to rah-rah the troops here. I get it, but also she named it in the middle of TV shows and everything else. So also. We're admitting it, but we're also still being a little bit dismissive that it's anything more than just similar competition we've seen before. <laughs> well, uh, with AEW, they got double or nothing. Uh, this Saturday night, we will be there in Vegas. Uh, the Observer reporting Adam Page and Pac are off of double or nothing due to creative differences. Of course, Pac formerly Neville. Uh, a match between the two was filmed at WrestleGate Pro in Nottingham, England. Uh, I believe it airs today via the AEW YouTube channel. Page, uh, spoiler alert, Won the match by DQ, um, but AEW is uh, Pac. Okay, so let me slow this down here a little bit. Pac apparently didn't want to lose the match, so Page won by DQ. But AEW wants their product to be more about wins and losses, so they didn't want to put a DQ finish on the double or nothing bout. 
So now this match is done and over. Paige will have a new opponent at double or nothing. And, dude, this was like, I mean, look, Cody and, and Dustin will be great. Omega and Jericho will be great. But this was the match I was looking forward to. I really wanted to see how these two, so young, in their primes, like I really wanted to see how these two work together. It's it's an interesting business challenge with what they're building at AEW right now. And that is, I get Cody's stance. I get the Young Buck stance. I get AEW stance here that we want to let wrestlers tell their stories and we want to give them some creative control. But the problem is there is a reason so many companies time and time again have invested in bookers and creative teams. And I'm not saying to the extent that WWE needs to, right? But you've got to have a system of checks and balances here that control the overall product or else you end up in situations like this where, to your point, one of the most hyped matches of the night has been removed because a wrestler did not want to lose. Now, I don't think it's as simple as Pac thinks he's better than Adam Page, but he believes that championship gives him a step up and he doesn't I say what you will about it. It's open, the open, the dream gate championship. It's a, you know, it's a, it's an independent championship. It's for dragon gate, but he believes Pac believes that that makes him above losing from the perspective of, he doesn't want the championship to be cheapened here. I I think it's an interesting situation. We're going to see more of from this company, as long as you kind of run it like a loose collaborative, as they have said, because guys are going to come in and they're going to have their opinions. Wrestling is a business of egos, right? And it's going to create bad situations for the fans and for the company. Listen, I I get the wins and losses. You want them to matter. Don't understand why you couldn't have, have had at least one DQ finish on this show and why that would have mattered. An autonomous collective. That's what they are. That's uh, it. Not a collaborative, a collective. They're an autonomous collective. <laughs> the uh, Borg. Welcome. Uh, yeah, you know, I again, it's like, you know, I, well, I, I, if they, there's also the chance that here, maybe they had somebody else they were looking to get onto the card, realizing this isn't going to work out. Everybody's going to be upset. Pac's not there. But the person we have to replace him in this match against Paige will mox your socks off. <laughs> I get what you're saying there. Going to have Jack Swagger showing up, huh? <laughs> yeah, he'll mox your socks off. <laughs> uh, Possibly. You know, so anyway, or CM Punk or something, you know, whoever they would have in the wings there that they, they could, they know we've got an ace in our sleeve here. Don't worry about it. We'll get back to talk later. But don't you think, though, at some point this is going to happen again? Maybe. Creative differences are going to get in the way of big money matches. You know, until I'm proven wrong, these guys have made a lot of right moves so far. You know, I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Uh, the, you know, again, there's a lot of smart people in that room there. I doubt they would just let something like this happen if they didn't have a good backup plan. You know, this was the best plan that they could come up with. So until I'm proven wrong, we'll see. I'm not going to be too, too doom and gloom on this one quite yet. Fair uh, enough. TMZ uh, Sports, uh, a bit of sad news here around AEW's uh, Double or Nothing weekend. Ric Flair is going to be unable to attend the roast of Ric Flair uh, at StarCast 2. The news broke last week that Rick had been rushed to the hospital. Uh, we did do a media call with Conrad Thompson shortly after that news uh, broke where he said that this was a planned procedure, kind of played down the idea that this was anything major. Um, but uh, apparently, yes, the, the doctors have said that Flair's surgery was a success. He is recovering, but it does not like so- sound like he's going to be able to be at StarCast 2. Um Big, big blow to the week. And I know this is something everybody was looking forward to, uh, the roast of Ric Flair. But more importantly, you know, it's about Rick getting better and, you know, getting the space to recover and get back to get back to good. You know? Yep. That's the positive here. He is uh, surgery was a success and we're going to have the nature boy around quite a bit longer, it seems like. Yeah. And who do, who do you put it if it's not Ric Flair getting roasted? Who do you roast at StarCast? Oh, who did they do last year? I think it was Bruce, wasn't it? 
because I know they've done a Jim Cornette roast here in the Carolinas, as people call us. No, at, at Russell Cade before, but I think a Jim Cornette roast is always is always the one I want to go Man, to. I'd, I'd boast, I, I don't know if he'd do it or not, but uh, I'd roast Eric 100%. Oh, you could do that. There, I mean, come on. Home yeah. run. Got all those people there already. Just put him in the throne and let people not even, you don't have to make jokes. Just talk about your own personal <laughs> experiences. Just talk about the last few years of WCW. You're good. One time, Eric paid me nine months' salary to sit at home and play video games. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway, uh, Bleacher Report uh, reporting the uh, – well, they had an interview with the Young Bucks, and the Young Bucks said that New Japan and ROH actually could have stopped them uh, from launching AEW. Had they come together and offered them the deal they were looking for, they wanted a dual contract uh, to be able to work with both promotions, but they New Japan and ROH couldn't put it together, and so they, they did what they felt they had to do, which is launch – AEW kind of confirming, I guess, a lot of little stories we had heard between them leaving those promotions and launching AEW. You look at all of the things that have led up to the launch of AEW later this year, and even to the launch of All In or Double or Nothing, but all of the things that have conspired to make this happen and potentially give us this huge, not huge yet, but potentially huge juggernaut to challenge WWE on primetime TV. And it's crazy to me how many small things could have prevented this from happening, right? This being one of the things. If New Japan and ROH had just worked better together, right, they might have prevented their biggest competition from coming into existence. If um, you go back to if Dave Meltzer had not called out them and challenged them in that way and Cody taken it seriously, might have prevented that from happening if wwe had done x y and z with cody rhodes might have prevented this from happening so it's insane to me the bigger thing here is all of this all the things competition could have done to prevent this big competition from happening yeah uh what a what a great podcast it'll make someday uh look back on this time period um uh lastly here we'll wrap up with some impact news before we throw to our interviews uh pwinsider.com reporting scarlett Bordeaux requested a release from impact last week she joins her boyfriend killer cross in requesting their releases uh she was scheduled to be with impact until the summer uh but it was on a per appearance deal no idea if her release has been granted yet i'm sure we will find out by the next set of tapings in june but you know scarlett has been a, a big success for them and um uh, i was very surprised to to hear this one yeah, it's it's almost um, it's not a good look for Impact whenever she requests a release. Um, you know, Killer Cross. It's you know it's here just feel here, here's what I'll say. I'll jump in real quick. I, I did an interview with Conan that uh, we're going to air tomorrow. We're going to have Conan uh, K Dog will be on the show tomorrow. But one of the things he touches on in the interview is how you know he remembers being in ECW with Paul Heyman and Paul kvetching to him about how uh, ECW had just become a feeder system to, to WCW and WWE because they just couldn't offer guys the same you know, contracts. Impact is doing their best job to scout young talent, bring people in that aren't quite on the radar yet, get them on the radar. The problem is by the time you get them there and you make that investment, have you really just done the legwork for somebody else who's going to come along? And, and operating in that environment it's very ECW-esque, and I think we're going to see a lot more stuff like that from Impact and MLW uh, going forward. And from Ring of Honor, right? Ring of Honor's had the same I, problem for I, a while. I, I, but Ring of Honor, we're talking about, you know, look, Sinclair is only getting bigger, right? I think that they got their interest there with MSG. You know, right now it is a weird time for ROH, but I can, you know, they've got some big players over there still, too. How you're, How they're using them is another conversation. But they got some big players there. And New Japan also in the wings. Well, if- 
I think the big thing for me in all of this, I think you're right. All these companies are, are challenged in similar ways. Ring of Honor has not figured out how to exist. I know they had their show at Madison Square Garden. They've not figured out how to exist in a post-Cody Rhodes, post-Jung Bucks era yet. I think the thing Impact Wrestling has got going for it is it's been doing its own thing for a while, but it has felt more like a feeder system. However, they've got years and years and years of lineage and years and years and years of feeling like a major promotion to fall back on. I know they're not the same promotion they once were, but Impact Wrestling still has that a slightly bigger feeling to me than what Ring of Honor has managed to consistently pull off here. Now, that's just me, but I think Impact at least has an identity, and that's why I hate to see them lose talent. Whereas, I don't, what is Ring of Honor right now here in May of 2019? PCO. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. ROH is PCO, I think, in a lot of ways at the moment. Uh, but, you know, on that, what is Impact? You know, good news here to wrap up our news block. Uh, Jordan Grace, uh, there was a bit of a back and forth over the weekend if she had signed, not resigned. Uh, she made it official on Twitter. She has re-signed with Impact, and she's looking forward to making Impact her home for years to come, which is great because Jordan is that perfect kind of con- uh, perfect kind of talent. They they got her early. They uh, are going to put pe- put her further on people's radar, and hopefully, she is somebody that can grow over the next few years into a real draw for Impact because I, I see that for Jordan Grace. I think she can be that for them. Absolutely. Huge talent here. Impact, again, solidifying that. Uh, Women's-wise, I think their roster continues to lap what Ring of Honor is doing. My guest at this time is a former WWE World Champion and General Manager. He can now be seen on demand in the movie Chasing Molly. It's Kurt Angle. Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, so I started my day watching Chasing Molly, this movie that you're in, and... uh, you know, no spoilers here, but you play like a murderous bad guy in this movie called Mr. Black. How did you uh, how did you get cast as Mr. Black? I don't know, man. I, I, it's so funny that my agency got a call from uh, Shelly Pack, who also stars in uh, Chasing Molly. I believe she wrote this movie and uh, it's, it's a comedy uh, about a couple of con artists uh, that uh, rip off a a drug kingpin and um, they realize they are, they're in way over their heads and they're uh, basically fighting to uh, get the drugs back and uh, save their own lives. So it's, um, it is uh, a bit raunchy. I wouldn't have kids watch it, but uh, it's funny. Uh, a lot of swear words in it and uh, it's very entertaining. And, you know, you say this, this, this drug kingpin, you are the drug kingpin here, right? And uh, yeah. like you said, this is, really raunchy you in particular you say some things that i would never have thought i would ever get to hear kurt angle say on camera uh how was it for you getting to do that uh it wasn't that hard i just you know she told me you know if you're gonna be a drug dealer you gotta act and talk like a drug dealer so get this verbiage down and and say with intent and make everyone believe you're a drug dealer so I am my with my little make believe world in my head. I decided I was going to pretend to be a drug dealer, and uh, I think I was able to. Uh, I think I was able to come across that way. I, I, you know, Kurt, I'm not going to lie. I really genuinely thought you were the best part of this movie. The movie's not not bad. You're you're very good though, um, and you seem like you enjoyed playing this bad guy. It, it also seemed like the movie was yeah. very improvisational. Was was that was that how it felt on set? Were you given a lot of freedom with this character? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was. That's why it's kind of uh, 
it's really crazy to me how it really blended together because we were all, you know, saying our own things and doing uh, doing it our own way, and and uh, it was more of a you know a free set. Uh, but but we we were all told that you have to get these certain points across, and we were able to do that because we did that. The movie told a good story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and did that? Do you think your pro wrestling background helped you? In that improv setting, because the way you just described that sounds like how you would do a a promo on Raw or something like that. Yeah. Well, the the, the huge difference is, you know, uh, movies you 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 get more than one take. You can you get fifty takes if you want. Uh, I'm so accustomed to get, having to do it my first time. So uh, when I was on the set, I did a lot of takes my first time. Uh, they might have wanted to do it over again. Uh, just for safety or or somebody else in the room didn't do say what they were supposed to say uh but as far as me i i pretty much nailed most of them on my first take and that that that's a tribute to the wrestling business that's you know we're taught to do that you have one you have one chance and uh if you don't do it you know you're uh sink or swim you know and uh if you can't uh, swim, you're going to sink and drown. So you get one shot to do it, and it better be good. Yeah. Well, this was a very – it was a fun ensemble. I could tell there was a lot of improvisers, comedians in here. Uh, a face that immediately yeah. popped out to me was Jim Cashman, who's one of the leads. A lot of people probably know him as Flo's sidekick from the Progressive commercials. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> you know what? When I – I saw him. I said, wait a minute. You're the progressive guy. He started laughing. <laughs> I I couldn't believe it was him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, he, he's, a, he's a good little actor, man. I, uh, uh, you know, I know he has some good history with different uh, TV shows and movies, but uh, I thought he did a great job with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very cool. And, you know, did, you know, being around these guys doing all their improv stuff, do you ever get the itch? Do you want to jump up on a comedy stage, try improv, stand up, that kind of stuff out? Hell no. I want you to know this. Every funny thing I did in WWE 15, 20 years ago, I didn't write any of it. <laughs> Our writer wrote all that stuff. Uh, so I didn't come up with the content. I just did what I was told to do. <laughs> huh. And uh, I got to do some crazy, funny stuff back then. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that, you know, your career, obviously, you just said farewell uh, at WrestleMania. Do you plan on just straight pursuing acting or i mean do you consider your farewell a retirement from pro wrestling i guess is my question uh, no it's not a retirement um i i don't think i'll ever retire uh where i'm just sitting down not doing anything uh, i gotta be doing something uh something constructive so um right now i'm gonna be you know producing the wrestlers and wwe and um you know doing some movies like this and um you know, uh, uh, I also ha- I own a supplement business called Barn Dad Nutrition, so I put a lot of time into that as well. Okay, yeah, I mean that's interesting to hear you say you don't consider yourself retired. So this farewell match was maybe a farewell for a little while here, maybe while you rest up. I mean, do you do you see yourself having another match in a WWE ring? I guess. Um, no, but you know, it seems like you know they always come back. Um, you know, I, I've seen, uh, seen Shawn Michaels come back. I've seen, uh, uh, Ric Flair come back. Um, I don't plan on coming back, but I mean, if Vince McMahon really needs me, yeah. um, I would do it in a second for him. Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, 
he's a great guy and he's done a lot for me. And uh, if he ever needs me for something like that, he knows he has me. So um, do I think he'll call on me? Probably not. And, uh, you know, I, I think Vince is more proud of me, not, not as a wrestler, but as a person who overcame his demons and uh, has stayed straight for this long. So he, um, he looks at me, you know, he doesn't want to be the one that uh, ends up having me uh, relapse because he wanted me to use me for a match and I got hurt, you know, and I ended up taking painkillers, whatever it is. I think that Vince looks at me as a success story, but I think he also looks at me as, um, um, you know, what would you call it? Uh, um, uh What's the word I'm looking for? You're a success, an inspiration. Uh, you're a guiding light. I don't know. I'm not sure to... uh, <laughs> the complete opposite. Oh, okay. I'm a liability. Oh, okay. I'm a liability. Got it. Okay. Um, you, you have to look at it from that perspective. I mean, uh, when I was in WWE last time, I got injured so many times, uh, still working full time, pounding the painkillers, and just I was out of control. And, uh, you know, Vince couldn't control me, and you know, and I, I just got tired of uh, everything, and I just told Vince I want to leave, and uh, he didn't want to let me go. He wanted me to go to rehab and yeah, and stay with the company, but uh, I said no, I'm gone, Vince. I don't want to be here, and I went to TNA, and uh, the painkiller issue didn't get any better. So when I finally got clean, it took Vince three years to even look my way. Yeah. Uh, um, so, and when he did, I said, this is great, Vince. Let's do this, man. Let's make some money. Uh, I'll have a championship run. He said, uh, no, we're going to induct you in the hall of fame. I said, well, I'm not retired. He said, that's all right. We want to induct you in the hall of fame first. And then, uh, I said, okay, great. Then, you know, then, then I'll wrestle. And he's like, well, no, we're going to have you do the GM role. Um, uh, right after WrestleMania, you'll be the general manager of raw. I'm like, shit, well, when am I going to wrestle? I'll call on you. <laughs> yeah. So you understand what he did? He, he he brought me in, but he brought me back, and he had me settle in, not do anything uh, physical, and uh, and he, he continued to drug test me to make sure I was uh, staying clean. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, by him doing that, eventually he had me wrestle. But by the time I wrestled, uh, my body was uh, arthritic. Um, it was, uh, I, I don't know if you understand this, but uh, when you're in pro wrestling and you take a year off, uh, you're inactive, um, you're, you're, uh, it makes it that much harder to come back, especially at the age of 50. So if you're active and you're wrestling every night or five nights a week and you're taking bumps, that, that breaks up the scar tissue. You feel a lot better. But when you're just sitting around for 9 to 12 months and they call on you to wrestle, it's not going to be the same Kurt Angle that everybody knows. So when I finally started wrestling, it was too late for me. And uh, I don't blame Vince for that um, because I know what he was trying to do. Yeah. He was trying to make sure I was okay the whole way. So he was really careful with me. I think, And that, that's a credit to him and the company. But for me, it was like, damn, man, I could have had, you know, a championship run. I could have wrestled Rollins and, and uh, AJ Styles and uh, Roman Reigns and had some great matches. But, you know, 
he did the opposite. What, what I thought he was going to do is have me wrestle, then do the GM, and then induct me to the Hall of Fame. He did the complete opposite. <laughs> Hall of Fame first, GM second, wrestle third. Yeah. And by the time I started wrestling, I was like, Vince, I can't do this anymore. I actually, I actually uh, called him two months before Mania. I said, listen, I can't do this anymore. We got we to gotta figure out a way to, uh, you know, have me retire at Mania. He said, not a problem, but you're going to, you know, you're, and this is why people were upset about me wrestling Baron Corbin. Of course they wanted, you know, uh, a big, a bigger name uh, to wrestle me, but you, you have to remember myself and Baron had a story going for a whole year. Yeah. And, and Vince wasn't expecting me to retire at WrestleMania. So my WrestleMania opponent was going to be Baron. But when I talked to Vince two months before Mania, I told him, listen, this is going to be my last match at Mania. Let's find someone else. He said, no. No, this story cost me a lot of money. And we've been been playing this out for the past year. You're going to wrestle Baron. And I said, you know what? You're right. Fair enough. So I don't think a lot of fans understand why, but Vince made the right move. Now, it was my fault if I wanted to retire uh, wrestling someone like John Cena or or uh, Seth Rollins or whoever AJ Styles, then I should have waited a year. You you understand? No, I, I get it. I get it. And so yeah, Baron yeah. here and the next year, that's my retirement. Well, but we, yeah. we had to, we had to speed it up. Yeah. Well, you said farewell. You know, uh, like you said, yeah, you said at the top it wasn't quite a retirement. Sounds like now you might. I don't know. I'm a little. I don't know. Maybe intentionally. Oh, well, I'm not. Re- I, what I meant by not retired is I'm gonna keep working. Oh, not wrestling. Not, not wrestling, but working. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I will never retire, <laughs> but I, I'm retired from wrestling. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's what I was trying to tell you. Yeah. Okay. Well, last question here, Kurt. I know that you're very busy. Uh, obviously, there was a, there was big news in the world of pro wrestling this morning. You know, AEW announced this deal with TNT. I mean, what kind of an impact do you think that has on the landscape of pro wrestling? I think it's good. Uh, you know, I, I I understand. I want the fans to be excited about it. I I I I am going to tell you this though, and and I don't want to I don't want to be I don't want to come around five years from now and say I told you so. Listen, WWE is the number one brand. It will always be number one. It is so big right now. It's so global. There's no way in heck anybody's going to catch up to them. And if this company, I'm not daring them. I'm just saying, listen, it's not bad to be number two. It's not bad to be number two. If you're going to set out to be number one, then you're going to spend a lot of effing money. Okay. I remember when TNA tried to do uh, the Monday night wars with, uh, with WWE. And uh, then we started touring in cities every two weeks just like they did with the trucks and, you know, the live feeds and all that bullshit, they lost a lot of money. And uh, they also were not filling the arenas. So what I'm saying is I think AEW can be a good addition to wrestling. I believe it could be a great number two company. But if they want to be number one, be prepared to spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Because if you're going to catch up to WWE, you're going to have to do that. Ooh, it is a fun time for pro wrestling right now, Kurt. I could not have enjoyed it. It is fun. And you know what? That's my opinion. But I'm telling you, uh, I've seen it before with WCW. I've seen it before with TNA. 
you know, you, you're not going to they'll get any bigger than WWE. So I, 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 I welcome AEW to do whatever they want to do to become number one. But I'm just telling you right now, this is how it's going to happen. And this is what, what it's going to be. They're going to have a great run. I really believe that. Yep. But, you know, WWE is number one, always will be. All right. Well, uh, Kurt, I could not have uh, enjoyed this conversation more. It really walked me through what it's like to be in your shoes for the past year or so in WWE. Uh, and again, if people want to find you, go on demand right now. The movie is Chasing Molly. Kurt Angle plays Mr. Black. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, if nothing else, it's crazy to get to watch uh, Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle uh, being a little raunchy and just straight murdering people. Kurt, you caught me so off guard at the time. <laughs> Boom, right out of the I gate. Know, man. <laughs> Boom. Right I don't up. know who I was that day. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt, is there anything else you want to leave everybody with here before we wrap up the interview? No, no. Make sure you follow me at Real Kurt Angle on Twitter and uh, Facebook. My guest at this time will be a featured guest at StarCast 2. He is a legend in the world of pro wrestling journalism and is the author of Is Wrestling Fixed? I didn't know it was broken. Bill After Bill, uh, welcome back uh, to to podcasting with me. Well, you know what? This is like revisiting wonderful nostalgia of when you and I teamed up to do my podcast. Our podcast is Wrestling Fix. I didn't know it was broken. And we had uh, many, many, many weeks of great times doing that podcast together. Yeah. And uh, I, had, I was the one who had to move on. I had other things going on. And then tried podcasting again, and uh, now I'm moving on to the. Uh, I'm going to be moving out of the podcast world, and I have a uh, a biweekly show right now on Roku. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Oh my, I blew it, Bill. I was supposed to have watched this episode, and then the the past two days I got inundated with with crazy wrestling uh, news. I, I I promise you, I'm going to watch this Roku show. But tell me and the rest of the world. What what is in this special here? What what is what is in these Roku episodes? Well, it, 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 it's not actually a special. It's a biweekly show. Um, I, I've always preferred. You know, I started off my career doing radio yeah. and magazines, of course. But I've always wanted to be on the TV end. I always wanted to be the next uh, uh, Gene Okerlund. You know, the the backstage interviewer. Um, but I've had a lot, lot of opportunities in a lot of the major companies to do this type of thing periodically. Um, so uh, a man named Dave Parsons called me at one point uh, about a year ago, and he said he and Jerry Jarrett, the legendary Jerry Jarrett, um, are going to start a station on Roku. They've made a deal, and they've said we're going to have all classic wrestling. They've got Continental, Memphis, uh, the old... Uh, um, Pedro Martinez IWA tapes with Neil Mascaris and Mighty Igor and Bulldog Brower and tons of other territories on there. And he said, we'd like some new material. Would you like to do a new show for us? And I said, sure. So uh, the show basically, basically, I hate using that word, but the show basically uh, is me um, talking to the audience out there about a little, sometimes nostalgic things or current news and then uh, going into videotaped interviews that I've done with wrestlers through the years. Yeah. A lot of them have never been seen before, and some of them are classics from OneWrestling.com. Huh. 
Bill, th- I mean, I- I'm gonna I'm going to be seeking this out here this weekend. I you know I don't know if you heard or not. AEW and TNT made a deal. Uh, there were a couple. Of course. How did I? Wait a minute. I knew about it before it happened. No way. Did you really know about it before it happened or no? Well, you know that's what people think. So I'm going to procreate the rumor. Okay. Um, well, it's it, you know that's why I say I, I apologize for not being up to ba- to date on it. But you know you're doing this piece here, and Bill, here's the thing: is I know that you are just like so positive about pro wrestling. You love the pro wrestling business. There was this other series that dropped recently over on Viceland called Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. Did you did, have yeah. you watched any of these episodes? I did. I watched almost every one of them. And as a matter of fact, there's a controversy on the Bruce or Brody one. I'd like people to go. My old alma mater, PWI, has a, uh, a podcast, uh, PWI underscore online. You can find the podcast, though. When Bruce Brody died, when he was uh, murdered in Puerto Rico, um, the things that they talked about on Viceland, some of it was right on and some of it wasn't because we uh i had been in touch with uh tony atlas right after that happened remember there was no in there was no internet and i called tony atlas once i heard this happen and i put him on the phone with dave rosenbaum who was uh, a legit newspaper reporter who worked for us at uh, the pwi company and uh in this podcast um dave talks about things that were not really spot on what Viceland did on that particular subject of Bruiser Brody. What what uh what are you talking about here, Bill? What do you not feel that was uh, spot on? Well, no, it's not me. You have to listen to the interview to Dave Rosenbaum, the reporter who talked to Tony Atlas and several other people right after this happened. Okay, well, what do you and think? It's stuff that okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Stuff that Viceland did not bring out what do you what do you think the vice land left out or or got wrong i guess in the bruiser brody well i can't tell i can't tell you because i haven't heard the whole podcast yet okay well and remember it was how many years ago 40 years ago 30 years ago yeah it was a while ago yeah so i i don't i I don't remember i was very close friends with uh uh, brody and his wife barbara and his uh, little son jeffrey back then but i can't really pinpointed you need to listen to the podcast to find that out okay well talk to me a little bit about your relationship with brody what what do you remember of, oh. of the man yeah well i remember about uh, brody the man he was uh uh he was a man who looked like a you know one of these vicious maniacs in the ring but he was a real pussycat uh the thing i remember most about him was i was on a uh, tour in japan with uh, brody hansen um Ted DiBiase, the Mongolian Stomper, Dorian Terry Funk. And I spent a, uh, almost two weeks with them. And what I didn't know is that when Brody and Hanson came out of the dressing room, uh, and I was by the ring waiting to shoot pictures, they came out swinging chains, and all the Japanese fans down on the ringside area would scatter like they were going to be killed by these chains. And the first night, I almost got buried uh, under that because they came right at me all the fans just started coming up toward the ring and i was practically crushed to death at that point uh and so i told brody to say when i got back to the dressing room i said i had no idea he says we're not gonna hurt you we we saw you we'd look out for you don't worry about it (laughs) yeah so he was great he was great he was very he was very 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 sweet but he was also a man that i knew um through other people that was 
Barry, you know, if he wanted to do something the way he wanted to do it, it had to be pretty much uh, his way. He he worked his own business. So what? Um, okay. Uh, so what? Where do you, do you remember where, when, how you felt when you found out that he, you know, was tragically taken? Well, how do you think I felt, Nick? Well, I would bet you feel very sad, but I mean, do you remember the where it's and the horrible. when? Horrible. It yeah. made me sick. Yeah. It made me sick. It really did. I remember calling his wife about a week later, and I we again we I put Dave Rosenbaum in touch with uh, Tony Atlas, but I did watch most of the series. I was very close to Gino Hernandez too. Yeah. I was extremely close to him, and I was extremely close to the Ron Erics. Well, and and that's one of the you know I I had some other questions here about Starcast, but while we're talking about it. I, I, you know, I watch, I've watched every episode of this Dark Side of the Ring thing, uh, this, this series, and, you know, I really wanted to get your take because you weren't involved in the series, but I know how close you were with the Von Erichs, and for those that are listening... Well, I tr- Nick, I, I tried to get the series to have me on. They called me about photos, about using uh, my photos, but you and I told them. them PWI company owns all the photos I ever shot. Right, exactly. They yeah. really do. Yeah. So, and I said, but I, I said, these people you're doing this on, uh, I was close with Gino. I was very close with the Von Erics. I was close with Mula. I mean, I was close with almost everybody in that series. Yeah, so, you know, if you'd like, they said, "Well, we've already got this thing booked and ready to roll." Well, and on that note, so, here, th- well, I'd like to pepper you with a couple insights here and, and give you a chance to comment on some of these stories here. You know, talk talk to me a bit about the 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 relationship you had with the Von Erich family, and just really what was it like to be on that emotional roller coaster where you knew these people and and were having to tragically cover a series of very unfortunate incidences. Yeah, David Von Erich's funeral was one of the saddest things and most emotional things I've ever been to. David and I were very good friends, and Kerry uh, and Kevin and uh, uh, Kerry and Kevin loved me because David loved me. And it wasn't a thing where, hey, Bill puts us in the magazines. You know, that's why David loved me. David and I just became very good friends. Um, Fritz was... Uh, a very hard-ass type of person to yeah. talk to. I didn't talk to him a lot. My contact at that office was the main guy was Gary Hart. Okay. Gary was a real sweetheart. And uh, I always tell the story about Gary, and I'm not, not going away from the Van Erics, but uh, a wrestler would go over to Gary in Texas, and they'd say, you know, Gary, he was the booker there. What do you want me to do tonight? And he'd go, my man, all you have to do is go in the ring do your little schmas, get out of the ring, come out, let's go have some dinner and drinks and come back tomorrow and do it again. I used to love when he said that. But anyway, wow. so when David died, uh, I got a call about 3 o'clock in the morning from uh, Japanese photographer Jimmy Suzuki. And it was 3 in the morning. You figure somebody died. And he said, David Von Erich is dead. I said, what? I just talked to him before he went to Japan. He said, he's dead. That was all I remember. And I remember calling the house later that morning. And um, I don't remember who, I think it was David Manning, who was on uh, the Viceland show, was there and fielding the calls. And I asked him what it was from, and he said he didn't know yet. And he knew David and I were very, very close. Um, After that all, that whole situation passed by. I got very close with Kerry and Kevin. I was extremely close to the point um, where uh, I remember Kerry calling me like one of the Von Erich brothers. 
Um, so when Carrie, before Carrie died, uh, he came to my uh, condo in Massapequa Park, Long Island, and my kids were little at that point, and Carrie was, uh, uh, didn't see them there. They were still in school, and I have a videotape that has never been seen anywhere uh, of maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute of Carrie telling my kids on video, be good, listen to your parents, and don't take any drugs. And uh, I've never shown that anywhere. I, I'm Somewhere down the line, I have to find a real reason for showing that video and a real, the, the right place to show it. I don't know where that is. In the meantime, uh, Kevin and I have become ultra close. Kevin sent me a, um, a text last week asking me if I was okay. And he said, yeah. He says, I heard you were in a bad way. And I said, well, my poodle, Lexi, died last week. I was really devastated by that. Nick, you met Lexi. Well, and I didn't um, want to bring it up, but I didn't know that Kevin Von Erich had reached out to you about the passing of, of, of Lexi. Well, I didn't know that he, that's not what it was about. Oh, oh, okay. So he said he had heard that I was in a car accident, and I wasn't, and he wanted to make sure I was okay. So my relationship has stayed close with him. As a matter of fact, at a convention about three or four years ago, um, I met his sons, and they called me Uncle Bill. Wow. Now, I, now, I, so, yeah. I, I guess one of my questions would be as a follow-up is, you know, being as close as you were to the Von Erichs, did you know that Carrie was wrestling with a, a prosthetic foot towards the end of his we career? We never talked about it. But we did, never talked about it. Nate. Did you know or no? I heard the rumors, but because of my relationship with him, I never talked to him about it. Okay. Uh, just it just wasn't. It just wasn't anything for me to talk to about. I knew. I knew that if it was true, it's something he really didn't want to talk about. So we, I remember he was right before he was signed with the WWE. Came up to our office in um, the Rockville Center, uh, the magazine office, and I was going to ask him, and I didn't. We just, you know, did post pictures and. In an interview, but I never crossed. I never crossed that line because I I didn't want to invade uh, or hurt our friendship by doing that. I knew that he'd be very sensitive against that, and probably just wonder why I might even ask him. Um, let's switch gears here a little. Different way from... day and time. Different day and time. Yeah. Back then, because it was I was I was more of the nice guy reporter, the kid favor reporter. Well, here's now was, if it was Dave Meltzer, Dave would have asked him. Well, but that's what I'm getting. You know, that's what I'm wondering. I, you know, but before I get back to a couple of these other tales, I wanted to get your take on. You know, when you say your nice guy reporter, Dave would have said that. I mean, you know, we talk about pro pro wrestling journalism. That's like a, a topic of what is pro wrestling journalism to you? What is pro wrestling journalism, Bill? After well, it's different than it. It's different than it was. Back in the magazine days, in the magazine days, we had to think whether we were going to report something or not, including the thing like with Brody uh, being murdered. Uh, when the Iron Sheik was uh, caught with uh, Hexo Jim Duggan, are we going to re- re- report this? We were a fan magazine. We were not um, the National Enquirer. We were not, quote unquote, real reporters that way, even though most of the guys had journalism backgrounds. Today, wrestling journalism is different. Um, Dave Meltzer was uh, wrestling journalism on the inside, and he still is. Right. He's great at what he does on the inside there. Um, 
So current wrestling journalism has me uh, confused in a lot of ways. Well, there are a ton of okay, no. Let, let me just say yeah. it has me confused in a lot of ways because a lot of people go on and consider themselves wrestling journalists only to knock everything that goes on. You see very, very few positive, quote unquote, journalists. It's almost like they have to get online to to knock things. Not everybody does that. You don't do that. No. And there's a ton of other people who don't do that. But unfortunately, I think that is outweighed by people who try and just knock everything that's going on. Well, and I, I don't think it's necessarily about knocking or being positive, because I agree. There's a lot of negativity out there. It's easy to be negative, right? It's easy to be a heel, in my opinion. Go out there and make people hate you. Go out there and make people love you and sell T-shirts. It's a, it's a lot different story, Right. Absolutely, sure. Uh, you know, um, but you know, on that note, you know, uh, you are somebody that's very close to everything, and I'll hit you with a, a Meltzer story here to kind of break this up a little bit. Um, you know, there was a report that dropped just this morning from Dave and the Observer, based off of a, a PW Torch caller who had talked to some creative people. The Triple H and Vince are butting heads right now over the current WWE creative product. What, what do you make of a story like that? I don't know anything about it. I, I'm not in that office. Where did they get the information from? Well, um, yeah. it, it, this is something that people have said this since Triple H got into the office there, that he and Vince don't agree on anything. Okay. I don't know any of that firsthand, so I won't report it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, the rumors of them butting heads on creative, is it a possibility? Certainly it's a possibility because there's uh they're in a tumultuous spot right now with their uh, ratings issue. Um, and again, you know, they're going to be uh, moving over to uh, um, to Fox. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on right now where uh, a lot of nerves are being rattled as to why is uh, why are we not drawing the amount of people that we used to draw? What's wrong with our product? So that could very well, well be true. But unless I know that firsthand, I can't say... Yeah, that's what's happening. I won't do that. Okay. Well, what do you attribute the decline in WWE ratings to at the moment? Um, I wish I had a handle on that and I could fix that. I think, um, if it were me, that the SmackDown and the Raw rosters would be mixed every week, which is what I think they're trying to do now, and not make such a big deal out of it. Just make this a main roster that everybody's got to be at SmackDown. Everybody's got to get raw and some people will work and some people won't. And they also don't have that one guy anymore. I always thought that, you know, even though it's WWE, you always had that one guy. You had Cena, you had Hogan, you, you know, you go down the line, Bret Hart, Randy Savage, you had that one guy. So right now, if you go over to somebody on the street, who's not a big wrestling fan, and you ask him, you know, who's a famous wrestler in WWE, I'm not sure who they would say. They might just say The Undertaker or Hulk Hogan, not knowing he's not there, so to say. Uh, I think they need that focal point star to um, to tie it all together. Do you see that person on the roster right now, or do you think it's somebody that's waiting in the wings? I don't. That's a great question. Um, I don't see that guy yet. I really don't. Okay. It's got to be the male Becky Lynch. 
You and think, I don't know who that is. Well, but so in a way, are you saying Becky Lynch is the closest thing to that 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 they have right now? She's getting the biggest reaction of anybody at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Because she's the man. <laughs> she is. Uh, Bill, I've hit the twenty minute mark here. And by the way, okay. and by the way, and and she never beat the man. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know about so that. Totally confuses me. But no, I I see. A lot of promise in a lot of guys. There are things that confuse me. For example, I was uh, at my favorite Manhattan Bagel in Willow Grove two days ago, and there's a little kid in there, and he's playing wrestling with his, his dad. And his dad knows me, and he says, this man knows all the wrestlers. And I said, who's your favorite wrestler? And he said, Ricochet. And then I'm looking, and I said, boy, you know, this wrestler has captured the imagination of more than one kid. Yeah. Okay, and then I'm watching TV, and Ricochet is getting pinned. So, yeah, will he get a victory uh, over you know over whoever's pinning him at this time, whatever? Probably, but in the quote unquote good old days, a guy like him doesn't get pinned. You want to keep him on a winning streak, and put him somewhere where he's the fan base is going to say he's my favorite. Nobody beats him. So how do you think AEW being on TNT affects WWE? Do you think they react at all? I mean, I, I don't really know what you anticipate the dynamic or the reaction being here from WWE. Well, let's talk about the current knee-jerk reaction that possibly happened. Uh, no matter how much they say AEW and StarCast are not together and Conrad doesn't, Conrad Thompson is not part of that, for the WWE to react with putting on the Bret Hart-Tom McGee um, match the other night, knowing that they're going to do that at StarCast, and now them giving that away uh, on the network, uh, I think they are looking at little things that you know might affect them. The taking The Undertaker uh, out of StarCast, the taking of Kurt Angle, that's sending a message that we might be a little concerned about what's going on here. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing is, you know, it seems like they might be a little concerned here. They're making moves outside of their bubble for sure, but the creative direction still seems firmly behind, you know, Vince and you know what, what they're doing right now. I mean, if you had advice, if you had advice right now, I I guess for creative at WWE, uh, what would you, so here's my answer to your question. Here's my answer to the question. AEW is going to have a weekly show. Okay. We don't know what that weekly show is going to look like, okay? Once that weekly show starts, they're going to have a lot of wrestlers who, the fans who watch WWE, the kids and the general audience that watch WWE, they're going to have a lot of wrestlers people are not familiar with. So the thing with AEW is that we have to see once they get on the air, can they sustain more than their fan base is their fan base. How are they going to reach out and get more people to support that fan base who right now are like, Oh, I watch WWE. I'm fine with it. You know, we're inside the business. Mm -hmm. So we look at the business the way it is. A general fan who doesn't follow all of this on the internet, the kids that go to school, the 10 and 12 year olds, who watch WWE, they probably have no idea about what's going on, that another company is going to be coming out with all this great big stuff. Right now, to them, WWE is the show. So how does AEW get to those 
kids. And I'm calling it kids because the the basic fan wow. base that I know from my neighborhood are kids. Well, and they and, love it. Well, but that's the thing is, you know, we're looking at 1995 WWF right now, and you know, uh, you know, Bischoff's coming in here at the moment and saying, "I don't want to play to these kids. I don't want the goon. I don't want Duke the du- Dumpster Drosy. Here's these characters stripped down. They're re- they're real persona. Th- these are their real persons presented. You know, a, a very different contrast." Um, it, 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 I, I feel like, you know, they're not going to be fighting for the same PG audience that WWE is fighting for. And uh, I don't know if you think that's a good idea or not. No, I think that they're going to need every fan that they can get to sustain their product. Hmm. And they're, they're a very cool product. I mean, I can't wait for uh, Double or Nothing. Right. Um, and they're very cool. They're very with it. Um, organization <laughs> at yeah. this point, they have a they have a ton of money yeah. behind them. Yeah. Uh, but so does Ted Turner. So we have to see where this is going to go after the first few shows if they can sustain what's going on right now. The buzz, the fever is uh, in the business is unparalleled. I think where WWE is thinking, haha, you know these guys are going to be a one shot wonder. I'm not sure about that at this point. You think there's you think sir there's some miles to run here. You think AEW yeah, could really put on a show? Oh, of course they could put on a show. That that's that, that that's a, that's a given. That that's not even part of this thing. Is can they sustain draw ratings, draw advertisers, but mainly draw fans? And maybe like WWE runs a ton of house shows. Maybe that's not going to be the model. With AEW, maybe AEW is going to be more of a TV product. We don't know if they're going to do their show in the big arena, or with, or are they going to do it like the old Georgia Championship Wrestling and have that have it in a small, charming TV studio. Um, so we don't really know yet. We haven't seen anything. I do know that they're talking about making their product, their TV product, a much different product than WWE. Yeah, uh... and you know what? I've never said this anywhere, but Cody Rhodes was the first guy to have the testicular fortitude to say that I'm not being used right. There's got to be something else out there. And when he went to the Indies, he knew he couldn't live like this. And for he and the Young Bucks to start something that was between WWE and the Indies and to make it rise to a level that will be on a competitive basis in terms of possible, you know, fan for fan, this is absolutely amazing. Competition to me is this. If you, Nick Houseman, started a wrestling company, okay, competition is having the same fan base, same, no, let me scratch that, not same fan base, but the same universe of television and social media that WWE has. To compete with them properly, you have to have an equal universe as far as I'm concerned. So we have to see where AEW is going to go with that. Did you, uh, I'm, you've known Cody virtually his entire life, I would imagine. I have. Um, yes. What are some of your uh, memories of a, let's say, uh, preteen Cody Rhodes? Do you have any memories of a very young Cody Rhodes that pop out to you? Well, yeah, he was a young kid. He played all sports, ran around a lot, traveled with his dad periodically, always watched his dad, came to the shows and, you know, he he probably uh, just absorbed all this all this knowledge without 
really just sitting down and saying, so how do you do this? Yeah. Uh, all right. Probably came naturally to him. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll switch it up here a little bit. Let's go back to StarCast. Uh, Bill, you were a huge breakout star, I feel, for StarCast 1. Uh, people found out, I think for the first time, a lot of fans, that you are an expert karaoke singer. I knew this. <laughs> I knew this. Oh, wait, can I justify that? Sure. Before singing karaoke, which I started singing way back in Japan, back in the early 80s, I sang with groups and bands. Right. I basically, I started my life out wanting to be uh, an entertainer, a singer, MC type of person. Yeah. And through all my years of wrestling, when people were putting me on TV, nobody knew I did that stuff. Um, and then one day uh, I got up and I sang at a wrestling convention back in the the early 80s. And people said, oh, we didn't know you could do this. And then people would, uh, I started getting booked to do little gigs and little clubs. So, yeah, so it, last year, last year in Chicago at StarCast, um, I got up and nobody knew that I could do this. And Jeff Jarrett came up on stage afterwards and he said, you know what? My life couldn't be any weirder at this moment. First, I was inducted in the WWE Hall of Fame. And now I'm here listening to Bill after sing a Barry Manilow song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Bill, I, you're, you're, you used to play the Catskills. Is that correct? I did. I did. Many, 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 many moons ago back in the 60s. Go find and I'm only fifty, so figure that out. <laughs> go, go find his book. It's all, it's all in there. Right. No, yeah. Well, I've had the pleasure of singing karaoke with you. Uh, what is, what has it been like? What has your life been like since you've had that exposure at Starcast? I know that this past year has been a little different for you. People, more people seem to be picking up on you in the past year. More people seem to be picking up on me in an entertainment way, which I'm thrilled at. Uh, a lot of the videos of me singing. Uh, are getting uh, tons of hits. They're all over YouTube. If you just put in, put in the Bill After um, uh, Karaoke Tour, um, and you'll see a lot of uh, uh, a lot of stuff. But uh, Conrad Thompson has booked me at Starcast for two events. One of them will be a magazine panel. Uh, it will include probably Stu Sachs from PWI, who will be there, uh, me, and uh, R.D. Reynolds from WrestleCrab is one of the biggest magazine fans in the universe. He's always been like that, and I think he's going to join us and maybe some other people, and that will be on the Saturday morning at the Tuscany uh, Suites, probably, I think, around 11.30 Las Vegas time, and then 10.30 Friday night, uh, right after the Ric Flair roast, uh, come on over to Tuscany because I will be hosting StarCast Karaoke. From ten thirty until midnight. Yeah, uh, you. I'm sure you heard about Ric Flair today. Uh, the the medical scare that he had. Uh, pretty, pretty. So many, so many conflicting reports, Nick. Yeah. On that, that it was scheduled, it was not scheduled, and now his uh, lovely wife Wendy has just said that this has been an ongoing problem, and he's gone into the hospital for it. The only thing I'm nervous about is having surgery a week before the Ric Flair roast. Is very scary. A little bit. Well, you know, even if even if Rick isn't even even uh, able to be there or whatever it is, uh, this is going to be a great time, uh, Bill. I'm I'm oh, very I, I know that I'm very much looking forward to seeing you uh, at Starcast Two. You were such a star. You were the you were in many ways the star of Starcast One. I think a, a breakout sensation. Well, I, I appreciate that. You know, it was very nice that uh, there were 
tons of fans who um, who recognized me in the uh, tons of fans who recognized me uh, there and uh, um, bought my book. I'm not going to have books this year. I may only have like ten books there this year, um, only because they I found out that the shipping and keeping it at the hotel, every hotel there charges you to get a package there. Hmm. And it'll probably cost like $100 to, to keep my books there. So if I can mention this, is that fans can bring the book, if they have the book or get it on Amazon, is wrestling fixed? What's the answer, Nick? Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't know it was broken. Right. You can get that on Amazon and bring it. I will gladly sign it. I may have some copies there. But uh, so we'll be doing those two. And uh, I also noticed um, some interesting tweets about the Cal Championship Office Wrestling title that huh. I'm very picky about who Wonderful Willard defends us at. And I'm invited to your journalism seminar. And I don't know where I'll be at that point because I'm told I'm going to be doing a lot of social media during the whole weekend. But if I'm not busy at that point, I might just show up with the Reggie Parks gold-plated cow belt and might might accept a challenge for someone to try and get out of my figure four leg lock that Bill, I can put on anyone in Bill, six seconds. Bill, are you are you telling me that I I could possibly maybe find a way through the commissioner's good graces to allow myself an opportunity at your cow title in that figure four leg lock? Is that, is that what you're teasing me? Here's the, here's the issue. It might not be an official title defense because it's not in an office. No, it's in a, uh, it's in a meeting room. That is my office though. That it, my office, your office are the same office, Bill. After we yeah, work yeah, in well, pro we're wrestling, have to clarify this, okay? You think you're ready for for wonderful Willie and my figure four leg lock that I've defeated so many professional wrestlers with? You think that little you, Mister Chicago guy, is going to come in and just t- try and take the title? See, now you've got me all revved up as wonderful Willie. It's something you probably shouldn't have done. Well, listen here, Mr. Apner. Look, I just finished watching. You put an N in my name? Miss, look, Miss, Mr. Apner, I, I'm just telling you right now that I just finished watching that fabulous Moolah Dark Side of the Ring special, and what stood out to me was that Wendy Richter broke that 50-year title reign or whatever it is that uh, fabulous Moolah had on that women's championship to take it home. And everybody talked. Oh, really? So you just said she broke. So what's going to happen is that if Wonderful Willie and you hook up there, the only thing that's going to be uh, people will say was broke was your leg after I put it in. I'm out of time. Good night. It was a big news day. I want to thank Michael Weissman so much uh, for joining me at the top of the show. We got into a lot here today. Of course, I have to thank Kurt Angle for the time. Thank you, Bill Apter, for the time. Uh, Michael, I'll go out. I'll just go out and say it. I think this is one of my favorite episodes, if not my favorite episode of the Winkley uh, I've ever got. I've ever been a part of. I'm really proud of this one today. Wow, you can almost say it's as good or better than other episodes you've done before. <laughs> yes, this is this is my this is my Jetta. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs>
No way fucking that. Wow. <laughs> this, this is my Jetta. Uh, uh, you guys are great. We got a lot more here to go still this week. We're just getting started. Uh, of course, tomorrow uh, we'll be back. We're going to have two more big interviews. Uh, tomorrow's show is going to feature Conan, like I teased earlier. Also, our own Scott Fishman sat down with Ron Funches, who was supposed to host uh, the roast of Ric Flair. So you're going to get to hear him talk about that. Um, uh, and, and a lot more here on the show tomorrow. Uh, of course, Justin Labar will be back, and uh, we will all be again in Vegas this Friday, May 24th, 2.30 p.m., the podcast movement stage. Come on out, join us, win some prizes, play some games. Uh, and if you just want to show up in support or you just want to support the site, uh, site in general, prowrestlingtees.com slash wrestlinginc. Go get a, a shirt supporting the site. You can also go to our iTunes page, five-star ratings, nice comments, fart jokes, whatever you want to leave there. Always also appreciated. And lastly here, uh, this Friday, we will be back on the Ringside Wrestling app for a video version of the Winkly, our half-hour show, highly produced. Love working with these guys at Ringside Wrestling. It's me and Raj Geary, and we will have a, fe- a special bonus interview uh, this Friday as well, our own Andy Malnoski out in the field talking to Noel Foley. So it's all big things popping, little things dropping, uh, as Booker T would say here with uh, Win- the Winkly. Very excited to bring you guys even more contact uh, content this week. And uh, with that... Uh, Michael Weissman, what do you want to plug pro put over here to wrap up the show today? As always, you can give me a follow there on the Twitterverse. I am at the real Weisman. I'm at a nice even round number right now, so I need somebody to break that for me because it's driving me crazy. What's your round um, number? What are you at? I'm at 700. Oh, so okay, okay. We got. Yeah, I'm we getting ready get you... to drop Brian Fritz. Be back down to 699. So we got to get you somebody say Fritz. A thousand. We got to get you to a, a thousand. A nice one K over on Twitter. Uh, we got to get like an award out for that. Can we do that? I have over. I'll give you like a prize. I have over five thousand Twitter followers. Isn't that dumb? <laughs> yeah, no, but it's a dumb thing. Like if you look at my Twitter feed, it's like occasionally I, I leave live thoughts about wrestling shows. The rest mm-hmm. of the time, it's me usually just like. Sharing. Pokemon Go. You're and always po- tweeting about Pokemon Go. It's Pokemon Go. Be uh, my friend on Pokemon Go. Be my friend on Pokemon Go. Sometimes I'll walk over to North Pond. There's like little videos and photos of ducks and turtles and stuff because like that's my uh, happy place. Um, but no, my big. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll tell you what. My thousandth Twitter follower. I will give you the shirt off my back. I'll give you the. Mm. Oh, there you go. That's that's incentive there. You know, you gotta get more creative. It's a nice one. I was watching uh, Miz and Miss this week. And uh, I actually caught up in Miz and Miss this week because I was two episodes behind. And there was an episode where Marjo, Maurice's mom, is trying to get more followers for her Instagram. Um, and Maurice is like, well, it's because your Instagram is very boring. It's always you sitting in little cafes drinking coffee. You need, <laughs> you need to do something more engaging. So she did. Uh, and Marjo, Maurice's mom, uh, you know, not not a young lady. Did like a, a bikini shoot. She looked pretty good. Um, that got her some followers. Also got Dolph Ziggler in her DMs. Uh, great little side plot. Um, but uh, then she started doing impressions of the Miz on her Instagram. Really riled Miz and uh, got a lot of engagements. Oh, that's the way to do it. So I'll tell you what, then. Here's what I'll say. Okay. Twitter followers want to get that to 1,000 at The Real Wiseman. You should really follow me on Instagram, though, because last week, while I was not here on the podcast, I did get to go tour the Budweiser factory, the Budweiser beer garden. I got a selfie with one of the Clydesdales. Oh. And you can see all of that on Instagram. I am at Wiseman.ma there. I got tired of paying for guac at the Mariano's because it's expensive. So last night, I made my own guac for the first time, and I posted photos of that last night. Yeah, well, you can see that or a picture of me with the Clydesdale. Your choice. (laughs) 
Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this banter and you're interested in following along with me on Twitter, at WinkRebel, that's the place to go. Uh, but until then, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it.